We're in Matthew chapter 1. If you'd turn there, please. And last week we looked at the first 17 verses. Who can God use for his glory? Next week we'll look at, Lord willing, Matthew chapter 2. And God controls everything for his glory. But this week is verses 18 through 25 of Matthew chapter 1. And I'm asking the question, how can God, you, how can you trust God for his glory? And there's an implied finishing of that phrase. That is, how can you trust God for his glory and not ours? That is, what we're looking for is to honor, honor God, to bring glory to God in our lives. And that doesn't always mean that we get what we want, and that's okay, because we're looking for what God wants, and that's where we gain our fulfillment, our strength, and our comfort, and our joy from, really. I was really surprised as I looked through this passage. This is a pretty clear passage. We know what it's talking about. There's not really a lot hard here. We'll do a little bit of uh, first century culture thing about marriage here in a second, but, but there's not that much. It's a pretty simple thing. But as I got into preaching the passage and looking at it and digging into it, putting myself in Joseph's place, this is one of the most difficult passages of Scripture that I've run across in a long time. It was really soul-searching for me. And I hope that you'll look at it in the same way. Because there's some stuff here that really challenges some of our innermost beliefs and convictions and ways of going about our lives. And so let's, with that thought... Look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would help me and help us to understand what your word says, but then also to be willing to apply it. And for today, there's some challenges here, and there's some things that, that are, are confronting us in this passage that are really quite difficult. So, Father, I pray that you would give us discernment, give me strength, and help us to to honor you, bring glory to you through our lives and how we live them and what choices we make and what our values really are. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in junior high, I was not any kind of model of maturity, believe me. And in basketball, when, after the basketball games, we'd rush over to the scorer's table because we want to see how many points we scored. And heaven help the poor person to writing that stuff down if, if we, had, we thought we got more than what they gave us credit for. Why? Because we wanted the glory, right? You know, we were world beaters at that age. We were bound for the NBA or whoever else. But, and of course, you know, that was certainly no model. I mean, that's the exact opposite model of a team uh, performance there. But, um, but that just goes to show in an opposite way of what we're looking at here. You must trust God for his glory. And trusting him means you give it over to him. And whatever happens, you take your hands off and let him decide how, when, and where. And this is really going to be impacting, I think, as we look at the birth story of Christ through Joseph's lenses. Now, I got knocked down a couple of pegs just in Sunday school for the terrible realization that actually Joseph doesn't say anything in anywhere in the scriptures. I'm not saying that he's not significant, neither was the Sunday school teacher, but we're just saying that he doesn't have a voice here. But we do know what he was, his thought processes, and that was a good thing to, to look through, both in Matthew and in Luke. But anyway, we must trust God for his glory not our own glory. And let's look and see what that would 
why that is so important for us in our lives. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Christ was on this wise. Was this, it was in this way. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and by the way, not knowing the end of verse 18, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. That is to divorce her, but not in a scandal type of way. Scandal type of way. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord came, uh, appeared uh, unto him in a dream, saying, Lo, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary thy wife. Let's just stop right there, because it's gotten strange, unusual, and now it's gotten weird. Because... God, through this angel, is telling Joseph to take Mary as his wife. So, so to trust God for his glory, that you're using your life for his glory. Why do we need to do that? Why? Because God's glory must be our ultimate goal. Do you understand that? God's glory must be our ultimate goal. And let's just see why this was so strange. Take her as your wife. This is very different than what he had in mind. See, he had some expectations here. Then that changed, and so we put another plan into practice, and now the angel's telling him to do something yet different. He, didn't, he wasn't, wasn't going to opt for the open disgrace, but God says, no, take her anyway. That's humbling. More so when you think of what's going on in his mind anyway. He had expectations of marriage, just a regular, normal marriage, didn't realize this whole cosmic plan that God had, but just he wanted to get married. And this is the way it happens. But do you suppose he felt a little hurt? A little bit of anger? Why did this happen to me? Well, I, I was all ready to go for this. Maybe even a little bit of betrayal by Mary? We know he probably loved her because he wasn't going to put her to the open shame thing. So he probably felt a little bit, why did she do this to me? Maybe he's just mad at life in general. Oh, it would always, of course it happens to me here. This wasn't the way he expected his married life to start. He obviously, you know, as I said, loved her, but, but uh, this is not what he wanted. In fact, when it happened with the child being a parent, he didn't want to have anything to do with it at all. The background, and probably you know more about this or have heard about this every year that we go through the Christmas story. In, in the first century, people like Mary and Joseph just didn't get married, just the two of them. There are more people involved. Marriage was a link between families as well as just as among individuals. There was a betrothal period, which was a binding period, considered uh, binding at the, uh, and is considered the beginning of the marriage, even though they didn't live together. The pledge could not be broken except by a bill of divorce. That's why Mary is called a wife. Joseph is considered a husband throughout this pe time period. These marriages were negotiated between families, and there would be property and, and other things transferred for guarantees of things. The bride remained at the father's house until a set time when they could begin their cohabitation. At the marriage time, there would be a procession from the bride's house to the groom's house, and it would have great celebration, feasting, and gift-giving, which could take more than a day. Sometimes the big marriages would take a whole week of feasting and celebration and all this. Now, why is it so important to review all this? 
Because this was the expectations that Joseph was operating under. This is what he was going for. He was thinking that we're engaged now. This is my wife. We're going to be finishing this betrothal period at some later point. We're going to have this great big ceremony. And it's going to be great. I can start a married life. We have every reason to suspect that Joseph was anticipating his, his marriage day when they came together and having children. Many men in this time period really wanted to have sons. That's a big deal, carry on the family name. But things turned out so very different and difficult than what he expected and what he desired and what his goals and what his plans and what his purposes were. If God had this kind of a change up for us in our lives, how many of us would be so willing to do what Joseph did? Me, take her? No way. See, Joseph, he had a plan even for this change. You know, she's with child. I'm going to divorce her. Okay. Maybe grieve a little bit. Perhaps even try again sometimes later. Bit of a disgrace, bit of a setback, but I can get over this. It's okay. I can do this. But now this angel message. Me, take her? As my wife, I didn't plan on that. That was never part of his plan. His expectations, his goals, his desires, his dreams were all dashed to pieces here. Have you ever had your expectations dashed to pieces right in front of your eyes? Maybe from a sports team or something like this? A relationship? Oh, this is, re- this is really going to work out. This is the one. And then it doesn't. Maybe getting into a college? Oh, this, is, this, is, this has everything I want. Then it doesn't work. Maybe a business startup. Oh, wow, this business is going to be great. It's really going to take off. And it never gets off the ground. Or a new job. This job is going to change my life. This, this is really going to get me on track. Things don't always turn out as we plan. heard from a former parishioner of mine uh, from my church that uh, his position, some sort of executive regional manager, was just eliminated. And it's not like he lost the job like he did wrong. He's just, they just eliminated the whole thing, this whole department or whatever. So that didn't go as planned. You know, we have expectations, we have plans, we have desires, and sometimes they don't go that way. Well, how do we deal with that? This is what can make life as a Christian very frustrating when we don't understand the fact that we walk with the Lord he is our, he's our master. He's, our, he, he's the one who, who sets the pace. And when we rebel against that, when we don't have a, a good reaction to what God has for us, that's where disappointment, hurt, frustration, even some depression or other things where we rebel against God that way. What are your ultimate goals in life? Not just the Sunday school answer I'm looking for, What are you really pinning your hopes and dreams and expectations, desires, and your time and money and treasure towards prestige, wealth, fame? Maybe it's not just for you, but it's for your kids. I want this to happen. This is the way this, and I've done everything. I've sacrificed. This is the way it needs to turn out. But you know, what are, this is a reminder in trusting God for his glory, not ours. We have to realize We do so because God's glory 
must be our ultimate aim, not our own, not our own desires. Now, we have desires and all of that, but we submit those desires to what God wants. Then where does the frustration go? Then where does the disappointment go? Oh, wait a minute. It wasn't necessarily about me anyway. God was glorified in that. Fine, good. Then there's, there's, there's contentment. Let's keep reading in our text. Let's finish out verse 20. So the angel says unto him, Fear not to take Mary for thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people for, for their sins, from their sins. Why should we trust God for his glory? Because God's plan often forces us to abandon our own comfort. You understand that? Look what, look what, from Joseph's perspective, what's going on here? Not only is his plans and expectations dashed to pieces, but what else is going to happen? What are other people going to think? The angel said four things. The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The baby will be a boy. The baby's name will be Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Obviously not one in Joseph's family tree. And the baby will have a divine purpose, saving people from their sins. Can you imagine what Joseph's family and friends would have said to him? What are you talking about? Just think what everybody else is going to say about our family. To Joseph, this is like a bad dream that just gets worse and worse. Of course, the irony is it's not just a bad dream. It really was a dream. It, it, it did happen. The cold light of reality brought realizations that are very difficult for Joseph to, to face. Can you imagine what he heard from people? You're an idiot. You're a fool. You're a lovesick fool. You could do better. And don't you realize there's never been a virgin birth before? What you're talking about is crazy. She's using you. What does it all even mean? God's going to save his people from their sins? What is all that? Joseph knew the Messiah and all the Old Testament, what that meant. Probably one of the most life-changing classes I ever taught. And by the way, the best thing, way to learn something is to teach it. You really learn a lot about it. And... And I had opportunity to, preach the, to uh, teach the minor prophets in a class I taught in Brazil. This is not the time I met my wife. But that was a life-changing time. And my wife was one of my translators. So it was nice that way, too. But Because but, uh, we were married then, it was all right. But, but uh, because the, the theology and, and, and the prophecies about what the Messiah was all about. And, and they would understand this. You know, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to reign. Micah 2, Micah 6, or sorry, Micah 4, and other places in the scriptures. Hosea talks about it. Other places around. It's, it's all over the place. There's a lot of condemnation in the minor prophets. But once in a while, the, the curtain is spread back, and you see this vision of what God has for his people. Not, not deserved by any means. And, and the, the Jewish people in the first century, yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen. Christ is going to come, or the Messiah is going to come, the anointed one, and he's going to throw off the yoke of bondage and, and rule around, and, and it's going to be great. What they didn't understand is clearly at all is that he's going to come first time, not to reign, but to suffer. And that's what we're, we're at here. This would be something that Joseph would say, what's, what, do you, what are you talking about? They didn't really understand that. I mean, it's in Isaiah 56, 53. But, but anyway, I, he might just say, look, saving people from their sins, I, I just want to get married. You want me to do what? 
You want me to go along with this? What about the expectations of my family? You know, God's plan often forces us to abandon our comfort. And that can be in a very tangible way. I realize this too, just as a missionary. If I waited till I was comfortable to serve God, I wouldn't serve God. There's a lot of times where I was uncomfortable, you know, working with people with other cultures and, and things like that. I just don't get it. I'm, I'm t- less than two weeks now going back to, to, to visit Brazil in the Amazon region of Brazil, which is, I think, the hottest place on earth. And uh, I don't speak the language there. And, and that's difficult. And I'll be preaching several times down there with a translator. But again, I'm not there to see how comfortable I am. I'm there to minister God's word to others. And through a translator, through my wife and and whatever personal relationships, we can do that. And uh, that's that's a wonderful thing. But it's not always a comfortable thing. I've eaten things that I'm very ashamed of all over the world, you know, and, and that's what there was to eat. That's what I ate, you know. And, uh, there's consequences from that too that aren't comfortable either but <laughs> sorry i just feel like you know it's a badge of honor and every country i've been in getting sick but anyway but the point is didn't know we were going to go there sorry <laughs> but anyway the, the point is is when you're there to see god get the glory you're not worried about the credit and you're also not worried about how comfortable you are boy we saw this all the time in jamaica too we have groups coming down and not always ones that I would lead or something like that. I'd be at church where I was a member of a large Jamaican church. And so it got a lot of visitors. And they'd come and they would see another white person across the room. And boy, they wanted me to, they want to come talk to me. They want to feel comfortable. They'd be on a Sunday. They would have just arrived on Saturday. They're still not comfortable yet. By the end of the week, they were fine. Well, that first Sunday was always a little bit of a shock, especially a huge Jamaican church. Well, I just determined I'm going to help them by not talking to them. I was not going to make them feel comfortable. Why? Because I wanted them, their first time there, and I had to learn this too. You got to get and minister and go talk to somebody that you're not familiar with, that you're not comfortable with, because that way you'll learn that faster. You can relate to them better and get to, so that you can make your time useful while you're down there. If you're it doesn't always last that long. It depends on some people. But, but again, your first time out there, you just got to go do it. You may not be comfortable. You may not understand the person real well. I mean, it's a little bit heavy accent and stuff. But you got to try. And if you wait till you get comfortable with it. I mean, Joseph, he didn't have that. What about you? What about even... You don't even know what I'm talking about here, having a relationship with God, serving God, or, or, or wanting glory to go to God. Why, what's that all about? If you're someone here who doesn't know you're going to heaven when you die, you've never put your trust for the forgiveness of your sins in Christ's death on the cross, that's the reason why he came. It's to die on the cross so that we could have forgiveness, so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can serve him so that we can bring glory to him in our lives that's our purpose that gives us a plan you know how many people will live in the world without a purpose or have a very selfish one if that's your need here today i encourage you make that decision today it'd be the best decision you ever made and what about others here who have already trusted christ as their savior 
What about serving him in perhaps a renewed way? Well, there's this ministry in the church. They always talk about that one. Boy, I'm not going to do that. Never do that. I used to think of that about children's ministry, and then I got married. My wife's really good with it. She asked me to help her, and I'm working with children now. <laughs> and now I got children. And uh, that was a shock, too. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not real comfortable with that, you know? Like, which end? I mean, when we were first getting married you know, and having the kids and stuff, and they started coming, I thought, I remember asking when I, my son was born, watching the nurse change her diaper, I said, hey, can you show me how to do that? And she said, sure, I'll be glad to. You know what? I changed my, my baby's diaper yesterday morning before I left. You know, I, I can do that now. So, but it wasn't real comfortable. In fact, I had a really bad experience 17 years before with my niece when she was a baby, and I never trust, touched it again after that, you know, until, until my own. Unfortunately, my sister was videotaping at the time. And... Uh, Anyway, bad experience. But anyway, what about you? There are ministries in the church that perhaps you would rather not. But you know what? God has gifted you, perhaps in ways you're not even aware of. And sometimes opportunities exist that we would say, no way. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with those people. I'm not comfortable with that kind of ministry. You know what? That's where God can excel. That's where God's glory can shine the greatest. And that's where you can bring glory to God. Don't ever think that, oh, I'm not going to do that. Let's keep reading our text. Verse 22 says, Now this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the prophet, which we read this morning, Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So you must trust God for his glory, not only because it should be our ultimate goal, it's not only because it forces us to abandon our comfort, but also because God's ways are higher than our ways. And you know what else? Not only are God's ways higher than our ways, but God's ways don't need our approval. Do you understand that? This is what God has for us, and, and we always want to know why. You know, all oh, this... You know, challenge, obstacle, happen. Why did it happen? Well, you know what? If we did know why, it wouldn't change much. You know, I mean, you still have to deal with it. But the other thing is, is sometimes there's this underlying assumption that, you know what? God really needs to explain this to me before he makes me go through it. Well, you know what? There's a lot of people in Scripture that didn't know why they went through the things they did. Certainly not at the time. And if we, if God needs our approval, then who's really in charge here? But you know what? God's ways are higher than ours. What had happened is, is Isaiah 4, sorry, Isaiah 7, 14 talks about something that was predicted 700 years before it happened. God's ways were planned. And we saw that in the genealogies, but we also saw that in prophecy here. Joseph had no idea he would be a part of all this, that he would be a part of a a bigger plan than he was aware of. He just wanted to get married and have a happy life. But God was asking more from him. And he's allowed to do that. God with us? Joseph might say, what kind of child is that? And by the way, I'm glad we sang that song. That's my favorite Christmas song. It's like it's really Christmas now. I love that song. But, but Joseph could have said, this is all fine, but I don't want to be a part of this plan. I didn't ask for it. I didn't seek it out. 
And you know what? The scriptures never show that he got the big payoff, the big reward, the recognition and satisfaction from those around him. It seems that from the crucifixion narrative that Joseph didn't even live that long. Probably he wasn't even around for the crucifixion. Maybe less than 30 years from this time. So it seems that Joseph never got that validation moment. You know, say sometimes in films or wherever, where all those around him who counted him a fool were forced to say, well, you know, Joseph, you were right. Yeah, you were right. You, you, you had it. You had it right. And there was no satisfaction there. But he, there was a bigger purpose and plan. And for, and for that is Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And Joseph never even got to see that. He goes around his whole life. And he walks by and everybody's like, yep, there's the guy. That's the idiot. That's, that, that guy really got fooled. That guy knew it wasn't the father and he still did it anyway. I mean, what kind of weird guy does that? But there was a higher plan, a greater good, that he would bring glory to God and that Joseph would participate in it at some point. And this is why I think Joseph is a wonderful Wonderful Bible character. At some point, he realized that his life was not his own, that he had to surrender his life to God and whatever God wanted to do with it. That's what he would, he would, he would pursue. He would welcome and he would participate and he would thrive in. That's not all that fun. That's not all that exciting. That's not, well, who wants to do that? But that's what, it means to bring glory to God. And that's what we should be doing too. Boy, I want to make sure that I get credit for this. Or boy, I want to make sure that people notice me. This was not Joseph's attitude here. The, uh, the, the class that I went to Brazil on and taught when I met my wife was the History of Christian Missions. And I love that class. It's a great class. And... I've experienced a little bit. I got to see 20, 25 miles north of Calcutta, India, where William Carey was considered the father of the modern missionary movement. He started his school there. I got to go in the house that he had built and he had lived in in the latter part of his life. Got to eat in there, too, in fact. And uh, real exciting. You know, this was a really cool thing. But the thing that impressed me was the African missionaries. Back in the Late 19th century, early 20th century, was Africa was really opening up for, for people to understand the different people groups there. Missionaries would go to Africa from wherever they were coming, from North America, for, from Europe, and they would arrive at the port city and then get outfitted to when they would go upriver to whatever people group they were going to minister to. One of the things they made sure they bought was a casket. Why? It was for themselves. And they would actually use it because they could stuff it full of things that they would need to carry on up. But it was also for them to be used in case they died. More than half of the missionaries that went up in those early years because of medical lack of knowledge and that kind of stuff, they, they died. More than half of the missionaries didn't survive more than a few years. Can you imagine that? More than half the missionaries. And yet, those were people who had sensed God's call on their life to do something amazing for him to bring glory to God through their life or through their death. That's an example of someone who lives for a glory greater than their own. And Joseph exemplifies this as well. 
How about yourself? Who owns your life? Who controls it? When God puts something in your path that is threatening, that is out of your control, uncomfortable, or in some way unfamiliar, what is your reaction? Do you want to run like Jonah? Or do you want to surrender your life to God's ways and pursue his glory? Is God impressing on you this Christmas season the fact that out of gratitude for what he has already done for you, you'd want to serve him in some renewed way? You know what? This is really mundane what I do. I don't even like staying after church and cleaning up or doing this or whatever, whatever. You know what? I'm serving God. This is bringing glory to God. I love this. We've all had ministries like that, and we find that God does reward us through through those opportunities. Is there a gift that you have that you've not shared with the body of Christ? What, 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 What am I talking about? I'm talking about the local church here, right here, that you could be used. Let's finish out the passage here. It says, And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You must trust God for, go, for his glory, not ours, not yours, not mine. Why? Because God's purposes always includes our obedience. Joseph's commitment to God's glory is seen here by what he did, and our actions re- show what we believe, what we think, what we value, what we treasure. For us, It's not that God's going to strike us dead if we don't do that. This is not how God operates. If you're a believer, you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die because you've trusted Christ as your Savior, that he has saved you from the penalty of your sins because of his death upon the cross. His resurrection guarantees your resurrection. If that's true in your life, God's faithful. There is nothing about uh, that we can do to earn our salvation. But, it's not, so it's not about that, it's about what we can do with our lives to bring glory to him because we're so grateful to him. That's what he wants. And, and, that, and we're, we're grateful for him sending the, his son to die on the cross. We want to live our lives for him. It just seems so natural until you put it into practice. And I think Joseph would be a, one to remind us that it can cost. You know, Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. I understand you know what discipleship is. Be a disciple, make a disciple. That's wonderful. I saw that on the website this week. and I, Boy, that's perfect, what I want to say. Discipleship is up to you. You know, the, the disciple-discipler relationship is always dependent on the disciple, not the discipler. The discipler, he wants to be as close to everyone... Christ wants to be as close to all of us as we want to be, as we're willing to be. It's up to us. How close do we want? Sometimes we get too close and we realize, oh boy, this is going to cost a lot. I'm going to be uncomfortable. There might be someone who gives us opportunity to share the gospel and we think, oh, I don't know what they're going to say about this. You know what? Who are we fearing here? We need to understand God's ways are the best, and we need to bring glory to God. So what if they think you're you're strange? You know what? A lot of people thought that Joseph was strange. Very, very strange. This is unusual, what happened here. But he allowed himself to be used to the Lord. Let's let ourselves be used to the Lord too, to bring him his glory. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to look at someone in the scriptures like Joseph, someone who probably wasn't respected real well in his own life,
doesn't even have any quotes in the scriptures from him. But Father, we know there was a lot of thought process in what, what reflected in his actions, and we give you praise for that. What an example that we can use in our own lives. It's just a regular, common, ordinary person to say, okay, I'm going to bring glory to God, and I'm not going to dictate what that means. Father, we need to do that too, and we pray that you give us strength and also opportunity. We know that you're faithful. We know that you'll do that. Father, help us respond well in Jesus' name. Amen.